Good morning. Let me just say as I'm setting all this up, you all look good. <laughs> this is great. So good to be with you this morning. I'm Brian Lankford. I'm one of our elders uh, for the past several years and also had the blessing of joining the staff uh, recently and um, have served here for the past 23 years with my wife Janice and our two boys. Um, today, I'm thankful to gather here in assembly with you and to explore joy in the waiting. We're going to be turning to Hebrews 12 here in a little bit. So if you want to go ahead, you can open your Bibles or your apps. Or if you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you in the seat. Uh, you can take that as a gift. And we'll be on page 1041 uh, there later this morning. So joy. The topic of joy. I won't stay still. There we go. What a great topic. But if we're honest, it's one that we can struggle with. This came true and to light for me about a year ago, almost exactly. My youngest son, Kyle, who lives in Nashville, he called me one afternoon and he said, Dad, Purdue's ranked number one. <laughs> First ever. And I said, yeah, I know. That's great news, isn't it? He said, yeah, but Dad... I'm struggling to enjoy it because as a lifelong long Boilermaker fan, I just know they're going to disappoint me. <laughs> you see, we struggle with joy. Well, as I've been studying over the past few weeks and preparing, uh, I came across a quote that really helped me frame this, this challenge and joy, and, and, but why it's so emphasized throughout Scripture and so important in our lives and why we should study it today. This quote says, man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever. So joy is important. It's an integral part of our purpose in life today and forever. But when we look around, we look at the things that happen in life, it's just not always that easy. Some of you may be familiar with uh, the book Heaven, written by Randy Alcorn. And in that book, he shares a story of a swimmer who became an international celebrity as she was the first woman to cross the English Channel in both directions and, and did it, setting records with each leg. Well, she became a global celebrity. And as she came back to the U.S., to home, her next challenge was to swim between the coast of California and Catalina Island. Now, Florence Chadwick looked forward to this challenge. Unlike me, she was ready. She was well prepared. But this time she failed. Why? Well, it wasn't being in the water for 15 hours and the cramps. It wasn't the temperature of the water, nor the waves or the sharks or jellyfish, which keep me from even going in. No, Florence quit because of a dense fog that surrounded her as she lost heart. You see, as she was swimming, the fog rolled into that channel and she lost sight of the shore. So she tried to keep swimming, but it just got thicker and thicker. And she quit. Emotionally, she couldn't take it anymore. Well, as they pulled Florence into the boat, they all came to realize 
she was less than a mile from the shore. If she could have only seen, maybe she would have persevered. You see, like our lives, for each of us, we're going to have times when that fog settles in, when something punches us in the nose and we lose our bearings and, and, and we just lose sorts. And in those times, as we get disoriented, we wonder, Lord, what are you doing? Where are you taking us right now? What are you doing in my life? We too can lose doubt. We too can lose heart. It's time to be real. It's not easy. Well, as I was preparing this week, um, although it's not my preference, I decided the best way to put skin on this subject today and to be relatable and just to open myself up vulnerably for, for God to work here is to share a part of my family's story. That story began suddenly at 3.57 a.m. on March 15th of 2014. See, I was in a hotel in Switzerland, and on the opposite side of the room, my phone just started screaming at me. So I stumble across the room, I get my phone like I always do, and on the other end of the phone was a voice saying, that our son Justin, our oldest son, who was 23 at the time, and he was about a year into his career as a mechanical engineer, he had been involved in a work-related accident. So I'm listening and taking notes, and then she continues to say, Mr. Lankford, it's really serious. Justin's in the ICU in critical condition. So here I was in Switzerland. Janice and Kyle were in Indiana, and Justin's in Flagstaff, Arizona. So we scrambled as fast as we could. I immediately called Janice and Kyle and let them know. And then I called Kelsey, who was Justin's almost fiance, about to pop the question. And then the rest of our family. And I called our dearest friends here at New Hope. And then we did everything humanly possible to get to Justin's side as quickly as we could. And as each sluggish moment passed, in the 24 hours it took to all get there. We prayed because we realized we had zero control. So we prayed and we waited. We waited for updates coming in from the doctors. We waited for taxis and shuttles and airport security lines and the planes themselves. We waited to be together. To embrace as a family. Be with Justin. We waited as we watched his chest erratically rise and fall as he struggled with each breath. As we waited on the results of countless scans and tests, we waited on the Lord. But, like Rob shared with us a week ago, God's peace was finding its way to weave its cords to the depths of our souls. And he was strengthening each of us individually, as a family, and honestly, as the broader body of Christ for the journey we were going to take. You know, in those moments when we were experiencing the most intense suffering in our lives, we felt God's peace that is described as beyond our imagination in Philippians 4. And we were 
as we were surrounded by a suffocating fog, that peace overwhelmed us. Believe it or not, we were in a time when I forgot to eat. I couldn't. We had to intentionally focus on just breathing. But God was with us, and he was strengthening us. Now, we were in shock, and we were disoriented, and honestly, we felt like we were kind of trapped in our own avalanche. But as Rob described a couple weeks ago, thankfully, we did not have to use his spit test. No, because we knew which way to dig. We knew that our hope, we knew that our faith, we knew that Justin's faith was absolutely anchored to the rock of Jesus. But it wasn't easy. So we started digging and we started clawing and we cried and we prayed and we trusted for the next 85 hours. And then the waiting was resolved as Justin went home to be with Jesus. And we entered a new season of waiting. Now I'm going to be real with you all this morning. As we returned home, we had the most beautiful picture in front of our house. This church was in our front yard praying. <laughs> and as we prayed and we gave thanks to God, as I then turned to enter our home, I was scared. I was afraid to enter the home that I would never hear the joy of Justin's singing and his music and his laughter again. We were lost. We had to plan a funeral. I've never planned a funeral. I never even considered something like that, especially for one of our children. And we were frozen in our steps. Kyle, our youngest, had to go back to Vanderbilt in a couple weeks for an intense summer session. What was I going to do about my job? It was in Germany. Where do you start with that? How was I, as the father, going to love and lead Janice and Kyle and Kelsey well enough through this journey? That was my job. I didn't know where to start. What was my purpose going to look like in life? You see, Janice and I, we knew how to be a dad and a mom to two boys. And, and we embraced what Scripture tells us in 3 John, that there is no greater joy than raising those children and seeing them walk in the Lord. There is no greater joy. But maybe the most haunting question that was on me over the months and years to come was how was I going to live out the truth that I find in Scripture in my personal life? How was I going to consider it pure joy when I face these many trials? Or do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Or hearing the truth from the psalmist when he says, joy will come in the morning. It will. But all I could see was that it was really going to be a long night of weeping. In that painful reality of a fallen world, when we're in the already and we're in the not yet, in that mixed time, Jesus tells us that he came so that we would have life, that we would have it abundantly, that we would have live it to the full. My question was, how, Jesus? How? 
after suffering what many would say is the worst thing they could ever imagine. How were Janice and I supposed to ever have joy again? That's a really fair question. <laughs> and it's one that we all ask. Why? How am I supposed to get through this? But what we found from God's word and what we found from how God worked in our lives and continues to is that was the wrong question. You see, the right question, the only one that matters when we're in those moments of truth, the right question is, will we turn and run to God or are we going to run away from him? Friends, when you're in those moments, when you're in that crisis, that is the only question because everything else rests on your response to that question. So where do we start? What's the first step? Well, let's begin with God's word. Would you join me, please? Would you stand as I read from Hebrews 12, starting in verse 1? The writer of Hebrews tells us, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders the, and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race that is marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you. You can be seated. Let's unpack that a little bit. I want to take just, just a few lessons that I've gathered from those first few verses. And then I want to, I want to move on to uh, something that I've learned, we've learned through our life, through our story and journey that I learned from one of my professors, Dr. John Mark Hicks, as he taught one of my classes and shared in one of his sermons how to have joy in the waiting. But first, let's, let's look at our scripture here today. The very first word was therefore. And when we hear that word, we say, why is it there for, right? What's it there for? Well, a little bit more rocket science for you this morning. Hebrews 12 follows Hebrews 11. You're welcome. <laughs> when we think of Hebrews 11, we think of the hall of faith. You know, these are the people in our Old Testament, the people who, who God built through. These are the witnesses now serving as a witness, a testimony to their faith as they faithfully persevered and waited on the Lord. If you look at just the last two verses, 39 and 40 there of chapter 11, you'll see this. These, these in the hall of faith, these witnesses were com all commended for their faith. Yet none of them received what had been promised. Since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Does that waiting sound familiar? Yeah. It does. See, they knew it too. But is it also comforting to know that we're not alone? We're not the first ones to wait. They did too. Matter of fact, you see, these faithful witnesses, they waited and they had to embrace the coexistence of sorrow 
and joy, just like we do. Next, the the text tells us we have to throw off those sins and the good things even that entangle us. We have to persevere. We have to fix our eyes on Christ who endured the full weight of shame for the cross, for the joy that was set before him. And we have to consider him so that we do not grow weary and we do not lose heart. You see, I'm making sure I didn't miss something. I did. We'll connect back to it. As we consider him, this isn't passive waiting. It's very active, like a runner waiting for the sound of the gun at the starting line before the sprint. You see, there's variable links to our sprint. Justin's was 23 years. And it's an endurance race for us. Okay, it's not just quickly done. And the key to us persevering through that is to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Now, I'll pause and we'll go back a step. And I want to share with you how I think you can see joy in the waiting from Hannah and Brandon Barnhart as they share their story of joy in the waiting. are both from Cincinnati, but five years ago um, when we got married, we decided to move here to Whitestown. We were looking for a church to be a part of. Um, we visited a couple other places, um, and then we very quickly found New Hope. And since then, we have not looked back. We um, are also very huge dog people. Um, anybody you ask would know. Um, we have two adorable golden retrievers who are our whole world right now. As all the young married couples in the room know just how crazy the housing market has been. Uh, we originally moved to Whitestown, lived there for about a year or so, purchased home down in Brownsburg, and then recently have just bought a house back here in Whitestown. Uh, the last two years together, um, though, they've been great. However, they have been spent waiting, um, waiting for the blessing of a child to add to our family. Our family has remained just Brandon and I for much longer than we anticipated. We have been excited, discouraged, devastated, faithful, hopeful, and anything else you could think of, um, willing to ride the, uh, the road up and down the mountain as we discovered that our journey would not be an easy one. Um, it's been the kind of waiting that can too easily suck the joy out of your life. Um, I have had so many tests been told multiple times I had nothing wrong with me, was passed from doctor to doctor, poked, prodded, and just recently had surgery. Um, we can't go through all of that though and not ask God the question, why? Why has he not yet blessed us with the one thing we desire so greatly? Up until this point, my, my life, um, things have gone according to what I thought was my plan. Graduate high school, graduate college, get a job, get married, buy a house. Um, I've been spoiled and undeniably blessed to find myself where I am. But every day, there's that small voice that starts at the back of my head and eventually finds its way wrapped around every moment of my day saying that I am not good enough because I am not a mother yet. 
The gift of joy is a strange thing. Um, there are so many days as we wait for his timing that I'm capable of feeling absolute sorrow, but unlike happiness, joy is right there alongside the sorrow too. I think for a long time, I would let the weight of my sorrow completely overtake me. Um, I felt like I was drowning in hopelessness some days, but by God's grace, this season has taught me that I don't have ultimate control of everything in my life, nor will I ever. Um, that's, that's when my faith really began to blossom. I, I felt a joy so deep within my soul that it's hard to describe, and it's also very hard to squash. It's that, as if this entire time I've thought of joy and sorrow as oil and vinegar, when in reality they coexist a lot better than that. The consistent testing and shaking of my faith allows them to mix and exist together, not as separate entities, but as one. These past five years of waiting have sometimes felt like time that we won't ever be able to get back. Waiting for the Lord to hear our prayers and do something has been heart-wrenching, but we have this joy in our lives that keeps us from becoming bitter or angry with God. We could have closed ourselves off from ourselves or from others. Uh, or even from God himself. But the Holy Spirit has produced a joy in our hearts that has led us to open up and use this season for the better. We've been much more available to, to serve here at the church, and that's one of those things that does bring us joy. So I'm able to help lead the safety team, and Hannah is able to volunteer back in the nursery to rock all those cute little babies. <laughs> uh, but the one other exciting way that we've chosen to serve and live with this joy uh, is to become host parents through Safe Families. And we're excited to see where the Lord leads us, and we're excited to, to finally get to use our home uh, to, to give these kids that need love so much uh, that place to, to be. So ultimately, that is what is going to bring us this great joy. Um, one aspect of waiting that has been really, really hard um, for us in our journey with infertility is when our friends in similar stages of life are beginning their families. Um, jealousy starts to bubble up in my heart and Brandon's as well um, because we we want that so badly for ourselves but truly by God's grace have I been able to find so much joy for others um, knowing many of their journeys were, were difficult as well um, because of losses complications and so many other things um, seeing them now on the other side gives us great joy um, my journey finally has led to some answers about my health and as we continue to wait we still haven't reached our destination of becoming parents but we've learned so much about our faith as individuals and as a couple we truly believe one day just as Jesus was born after so much waiting we'll finish this journey until then we have joy in the waiting What a courageous and beautiful testimony. You see, we're all there. As we wait, we have the pain, but we have the joy. But we don't sit still. We actively persevere. And we press on with our eyes fixed on Jesus. Our eyes fixed on the shore, fixed on the finish line. Another way that I can illustrate this, how many people here have ever tried to teach a child to ride a bicycle? Let's see a show of hands. 
<laughs> I see you. And you're running out of breath thinking about it. <laughs> Absolutely. It's exhausting. Well, a key thing to persevering, a key thing to teaching a child to ride a bike is something I learned in a motorcycle safety course last year or several years ago. And that was, if you will allow your head and your eyes to point to your destination, when you come into the turn, put your head and your eyes where you're going to exit, put them on the goal, put them on the finish line and the bike's going to follow. Because if you look down, that's where you're going to go. And that's where the kid's going to go. All right? So we've got to keep our eyes on the finish, on that destination. And that's why the author tells us in the text to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. Now, as we see that intermixing of joy and sorrow, we also have another lesson we can pull of encouragement from this writer in this text. Just like Paul does throughout the New Testament in 2 Corinthians 6, he is encouraging his readers to look to heaven. Look at the other end of the turn. Look at heaven. Look at the end. Because now is the day of God's favor. Now is the day of salvation. And hear this. Where we endure sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. It comes together. Philippians 4.4, Paul tells us, rejoice in the Lord always. Or Romans 12.12, as Alicia read this morning, that we're to be joyful in hope, patient in our affliction, faithful in prayer. See, the writers of the New Testament get it. They understand what we're going through. They understand those moments. And what they're telling us is regardless of our circumstances, God is bigger than the fall that's around us. So how do we embrace that joy? It's not easy. My family and I, we, we've been waiting, as Hannah and Brandon described, we've been waiting for eight years through the pain and the joy, looking forward to reuniting with Justin in the presence of Jesus. But through this painful season, we have experienced beyond, beyond anything we can describe, God's love and his grace and his peace. There's no doubt, God is still with us. And he is still working. So how does that come together? How does that happen? Well, let me refer to a, another illustration here that maybe can help. A lot of us, when we think of those sweet things in life, those sweetest delights that we enjoy, we think of chocolate. Okay. I know that is true in my family. Those, we can see, right, easy in an illustration, how chocolate relates to those rich times in life, the birth of a new child, a graduation, uh, a celebration of a new job. But life as a whole isn't just made up of the one ingredient of chocolate. Even the sweetness of life is not made up just of chocolate, although my wife would disagree. It's also made up of the other ingredients, like I'm not a chef, uh, baking soda, Flour, yuck. Um, what else do I have in here? Oh, a raw egg or butter? Or how about this beautiful stuff? Thank you, Teresa, for telling me this. Apple cider vinegar. Oh, my goodness, it's disgusting. 
kind of like those dreadful, bitter times of our life. The, these ingredients in their own aren't something we look forward to or that we really desire to partake. But when God's hand comes in, when he mixes it all together, when he works, I'm taking uh, dibs, you get these incredible cookies. When God brings our life together, what Paul tells us in Romans 8.28 is true. That while we may be drowning in the bitter ingredients of our life, we can keep our eyes fixed on him. And in that, God works all things, all things together for good, for those who love him and are called to his purposes, for his glory. For my family, as we, honestly, we strive to persevere one day at a time. Sometimes it's an hour at a time or it's just to get out of bed. Our hope, our joy has been rooted very firmly in two things. One of those is the body of Christ. And the other is the truth of God's word, especially where it tells us about the assembly of Christians in worship. When we come together. You see, you can look around today, look in the lobby before and after, right? There's a lot going on here. I mean, between us, we're high-fiving, we're loving, we're sharing stories, we're laughing together, we're hugging, we're uh, singing songs to God, we're sharing, we're bringing our tithes. We're doing a lot, and it's joyful. But we're also showing that love to God as we commune with him in communion, as we pray to him, as we sing to him, as we listen to his word and his spirit work in our lives through his word. But those are the things that we do when we assemble. Have you ever wondered, what's God doing? I mean, is he sitting back in a lazy boy, kind of flipping the channels and just seeing what we do? No, of course not. This is God's assembly. This is his time when we gather. So we're going to see something really special here. What God does when he assembles is he loves on us. He forms us. He transforms us. He's enjoying us. He sings over us as he is with us. He's doing that right now. Right now. But the original audience of this text had their doubts. Kind of like we do, right? If we're real, if we're honest, take off the masks. We have our doubts. What's really going on here? Well, these mixture of Jewish and Gentile Christians, about 35, 40 years after Jesus' crucifixion, they knew really well what suffering was about. They knew firsthand what persecution was about. As their fog surrounded them and choked them out, they were questioning, is this worth it? I, I'm going to quit. I'm ready to quit. I'm going to go back to my old ways. So the writer here in Hebrews 12, the writer is telling them with a contrast, pointing back to Sinai, the old way, if you continue down in the text, your way of assembling where, where you could smell and see the fire and the burning and sense God's presence. But God described that way that they're considering returning to. God, Moses described that as trembling with fear. And the writer's contrasting that to say, there's a better way. 
In Christ, everything is better. It's invisible, but it's better when we're in assembly. So hold on. See, in the kingdom of God that Christ has already inaugurated, we have come to Mount Zion. We have come to the city of the living God. We've come to the heavenly Jerusalem. And there's a, a term there in that language, come to. It's really important for us to pause for a second on that word, for us to understand how come to relates to joy in the waiting. Well, as I've studied this and verified with other scholars beyond myself, this text is repeated throughout and it indicates, this verb indicates something that was done in the past, but it continues. It has a permanent continuance. When we gather together in assembly, we celebrate. We come to God. We come to Jesus and we celebrate when we commune, when we offer our tithes, when we sing our praises. We come to the joyful assembly, the text says, in God's presence. Now, if we scratch a little deeper, flip back a couple chapters to chapter 10, that same word is used to say, draw near. And there, the author is pointing us and encouraging us, saying that we are to draw near to God. Full assurance that faith brings. That we're to hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess. Because God is faithful. We're to spur one another on with love and good deeds. We're not to give up meeting together. Because he's working. We're to encourage one another. And all the more as we see the day approaching, which means all the more as we wait on Christ's return. So we're to draw near, to come to, but, but where? Well, the answer is in our text today in chapter 12. So as we read, continuing down there in verse 22, we've come to a place that's very real. And it's just behind a thin veil. So we can't see it, but it's real. It's, it's there. We have come to, when we assemble as Christians, we've come to God. We've come to Jesus. We've come to that city of the living God. So get this. You're not really here. When we're worshiping in assembly, we have come to the heavenly Jerusalem. We have joined them. And God has lifted us up continuously to the holy of holies where he's dwelling in place and in relationship. And he's embracing us as we commune in him. But the text doesn't stop there. There's more. We have come to a myriad of angels. It's not a word I use every day. But it's a gathering of angels in this joyful assembly. And if you can imagine what you've read in Revelation 4, in Revelation 4, they're singing night and day, holy, holy, holy is the God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. And then in Revelation 5, we see that thousands upon thousands, actually 10,000s upon 10,000s of angels are gathered saying, worthy are you, worthy is the lamb who was slain. See, when we gather together, we're there with them in assembly. We're joining their chorus to God. As he's reaching down and drawing us near, we respond with great joy. But that's not where the text finishes. Yes, we have come to Mount Zion. 
And we have come to God and to Jesus, whose blood was all about forgiveness. And we come to the joyful gathering of the angels before the throne. But it says also, we've come to the church. Now that doesn't mean this building, right? A structure, the way we use it as a noun. It means the church, the people are the church. And those people, the church, the believers in Christ, aren't just the people you see here, the ones in first service and third service. No, these people are those who are gathered today in assembly worshiping Christ. Worshiping him around the community, around the world, with our missionaries. We're all gathered together where we're lifted up as the people of God. So when we assemble, there aren't just us. There are millions of us. And we're gathered there. It's kind of mind-blowing. But that's not all. We've come to the spirits of the righteous who have been made perfect. So who's that referring to? Well, it's not the angels. Angels are never referred to in your scripture as people that become perfect. And contrary to what people popularly say when they're meeting good intent, we don't become angels. This text is saying those spirits that are righteous who have been made perfect only possible through the blood of Christ. It refers to those spirits of the humans who have put their faith in Christ but who have not had the bodily resurrection yet until he comes again. See, in chapter 11, we read that honor roll of faith. Noah, Abraham, and Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Moses. We can go on. They've become witnesses, it tells us in chapter 12, standing at the finish line. They're calling us through the fog. Persevere. Come on, finish. You can do it. Don't quit. Don't give up. Run to him. And the text says, as they're doing that, that the angels were gathered with him, the Holy of Holies, and were gathered with the church, and were gathered with those in the hall of faith because they're there too with us. But that story continued in the New Testament. And we have Peter and we have John and we have Paul and we have Phoebe and we have Mary and Timothy and Barnabas. And so many saints there, their faith in Christ. They're there too. So when we assemble, we're with them as well. But that story continues through the church. Your people who have put their faith and trust in Christ as their Savior, they're there too. Your mom, your dad, your sibling, your cousin, your child, your best friend, those who you love so dearly, they're there too. And my people are there too. My grandparents, who were the first as far as we know in our family to accept Christ and to live faithfully and to work intentionally to hand that faith down through the generations. Janice's sister, Becky, who died at the age of three from leukemia before Janice was born. Her dad, Norman, my hero, he died a few years ago. And her mom, Mary Bell, joined him just a few weeks ago. And our son, Justin, they're there too. They're there too. 
before the assembly of God in the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. So when I gather here, when we gather here, we're not here. We're with those people gathering with the angels in the church around the world and with those faithful witnesses. As we sing, as we partake of communion, they're there too. When I want to be with Justin, when I want to find that joy of him again in the row with me, singing and praying, I come here. In assembly, we come here because we're with them. And God lifts us up in those moments and we sing with the angels and the church and the saints that have gathered. See, we're already assembled on Mount Zion. We can have a taste of what we can't see because God is working in us. He's working in this moment. And this assembly of hope that we're talking about, that assembly in addition to the countless good things that all come from God in our lives. Like hearing that Janice and I are going to be grandparents. <laughs> that assembly is where I find joy in the waiting. So when I'm sitting out there with you each Sunday, as we sit together, you'll see me smiling. You'll see me crying. You'll see me closing my eyes or just looking around at you and just trying to take in that we are in the presence of God and we are worshiping him as we wait for the day when he wipes away every tear, the day that he makes all things new. As we close, friends, you may be wondering what happened to Florence. Well, she persevered. Two months later, she tried again. And wouldn't you know it, the fog was thicker than it was the first time. But she persevered. And with a taste of the shore, her sight set on the finish. She finished successfully. Friends, like so many of our heroes of the faith have experienced, our journey's not easy. But God's word is true. He is sovereign and he is faithful. So I'm encouraging you, keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on him and persevere as you run to him. And I know that when you do, you will also find joy in the waiting. Praise God.